It's Monday, May the 16th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Sweden's NATO decision and grim economic data from China. First, the world in brief. Sweden's governing Social Democrats announced that they would back the country's application to join the NATO military alliance, while expressing reservation about deploying nuclear weapons and foreign bases on Swedish soil. Nonetheless, the decision, though expected, is momentous, ending two centuries of Swedish military non-alignment. Earlier on Sunday, Finland's president, Sauli Ninister, had said that his country would formally apply for membership. The Finnish parliament is expected to confirm the decision in the next few days. NATO Secretary-General Jens Stoltenberg said it would be, quote, historic if Finland and Sweden were both to join. China released grim economic data showing that industrial production fell by 2.9% in April, compared with a year earlier, and that retail sales plunged by over 11%, before adjusting for inflation. The world's second-largest economy may already be shrinking. According to Nomura, a bank, 41 cities accounting for nearly 30% of China's GDP were in full or partial COVID lockdown on May 10th. North Korea said that 1.2 million people have now come down with a, quote, fever. Most are presumed to be COVID-19 cases, although the country probably lacks the capacity to test for the virus. 50 deaths have been reported. The country admitted its first ever COVID-19 cases on Thursday. Low vaccination rates and poor healthcare facilities suggest a disaster is in the offing. Russia may have lost a third of the troops that invaded Ukraine, according to British military intelligence. The Ministry of Defence said Russia's campaign in the Donbass region, where it is now focusing much of its firepower, having failed to take Kyiv, had, quote, lost momentum and was, quote, significantly behind schedule. At a meeting in Germany, Mr Stoltenberg said Ukraine was in a position to win the war and called for more military support. Preliminary results in Lebanon's parliamentary election made depressing reading for Hezbollah. The Iran-backed militia come political party held most seats, with its allies, going into the vote, but looks to have sustained losses. The economic meltdown of the past couple of years was the main issue on most voters' minds, with many wanting to punish the politicians held responsible for the mess. Boris Johnson, Britain's Prime Minister, will visit Northern Ireland on Monday, hoping to resolve an impasse over the protocol that governs the province's post-Brexit trading rules. Northern Ireland's main unionist party wants it scrapped and is blocking the business of a newly elected assembly in Belfast. On Sunday, Ireland's foreign minister warned Britain against unilaterally acting to alter the trade treaty, as his British counterpart has threatened to do. The gunman who killed 10 people at a supermarket in Buffalo, New York on Saturday, deliberately picked an area with a high black population, according to the police. The suspect, who described himself in an apparent manifesto as a fascist and white supremacist, drove more than 320 kilometres to carry out the attack. Of the 13 people shot, 
11 were black. And fact of the day. One billion dollars. The sum that Russia still generates every day from its energy exports. And now here's today's agenda. How America and Europe hope to stop China's digital juggernaut. With great strategic patience, China is carving out an autocratic technosphere. Happily, a transatlantic diplomatic undertaking that most people have never heard of is pushing back. On Monday, a constellation of officials, including America's Secretary of State and the EU's Commissioners for Trade and Competition, will meet outside Paris for a second meeting of the Trade and Technology Council. This is the main venue in which Americans and Europeans are supposed to coordinate policy for the digital realm. Their first meeting in September was mainly for participants to get to know each other. This gathering will set goals for the next two years. The two sides have created ten joint working groups for topics ranging from quote technology standards to quote climate and clean tech. Unsurprisingly, given the war in Ukraine, the beefiest proposals in a leaked draft of the quote joint statement to be published at the end of the meeting relate to security. The war of attrition ahead. It has been almost a month since Russia launched a major offensive in the Donbas region of eastern Ukraine, and there is not much to show for it. Russia's advance has been slowed and costly, no more than one to two kilometers a day. One problem is manpower. British Defence Intelligence said on Sunday that Russia had probably lost a third of the ground combat force. It first committed to the invasion of Ukraine on February 24th. In contrast, Ukrainian counterattacks around Kharkiv, Ukraine's second-largest city, have almost pushed the Russian army back over the border. But repeating that success elsewhere will be much harder. Ukrainian forces in Donbas have been dug into defensive positions for years. Quote, Their ability to conduct large-scale maneuver and to significantly take the fight to the Russians, pushing them out of entire regions, remains limited at the moment," says a Western official. A grinding war of attrition looms. Macron's threat from the left. A new alliance of the French left heads off in high spirits this week to campaign for parliamentary elections next month. In a deal that upended the balance of power, which prevailed for the past half century, Jean-Luc Mélenchon's radical left has swallowed the moderate left. The new grouping, known as Nupes, contains his party and the Communists, Socialists, and Greens as junior members. This uncommon unity has one main objective: to make Mr. Mélenchon prime minister. The alliance is drawing plenty of support, particularly from the young. But many moderate socialists are aghast. François Hollande, a former president, has called the deal unacceptable. Nupes will struggle to win a majority at the two-round vote for the National Assembly on June 12th and 19th, but polls suggest that it could well become the second biggest force in Parliament. Nonetheless, President Emmanuel Macron's centrist party, Plus Allies, now campaigning under the name Ensemble, 
remains favourite to hold on to its majority. America's nuclear industry gets a lifeline. It may not be popular, but Democrats are increasingly reconciling themselves to the necessity of nuclear energy to tackle climate change. The Biden administration has given states until this week to apply for a $6 billion fund to rescue nuclear power stations facing closure. Among the applicants is energy-hungry California, where Diablo Canyon, the state's only nuclear plant, is slated to close in 2025. The Democratic governor, Gavin Newsom, has announced he would seek support for the facility, which supplied 6% of the state's electricity last year. Red tape, competition from natural gas and political unpopularity have conspired to put nuclear power in America on life support. Nuclear energy accounts for 8% of the country's electricity generation, but capacity is lower today than it was in 1989 as ageing plants have closed. Just one new reactor has been built since 1996. Even if the lights stay on at Diablo Canyon for a while longer, the future of America's nuclear industry still looks dim. The show goes on at Cannes. Cancelled in 2020 and shunted to July in 2021, the annual Cannes Film Festival returns to its usual mid-May slot this year, rolling out the red carpet for its 75th iteration on Tuesday. The stars of Top Gun Maverick and Baz Luhrmann's Elvis biopic will provide the requisite Hollywood glamour and many of the films in the official selection are directed by previous Cannes prize winners. These include the Dardenne brothers, Korei Ida Hirokazu, Ruben Ostlund and Michelle Hazanavishus the maker of the Oscar-winning The Artist, who opens the festival with a zombie comedy, Coupe, or Final Cut. But not everything has gone back to normal. Mr. Hazanavishus dropped his film's original title, Z Com Z, to dissociate it from the Z symbol painted on Russian tanks, and anyone linked to the Kremlin has been barred. That means Cam will be missing one of its most familiar elements, the oligarch superyachts anchored in the bay. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day. On Friday, your challenge is to give all five answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 5pm BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Monday. Which English sculptor's work has recently been defaced because of his sexual abuse of his family? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Emily Dickinson, who died on this day in 1886. We turn not older with years, but newer every day. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app 
or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download the Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.